0: Uh, more enjoyable series is for me because it's heart and soul of what God has uh, been working in my life over so many years, and I trust so also with you. Last week we talked about what you should be wearing uh, if you are a follower of Jesus. And uh, we said you can be a follower of Jesus no matter what you believe, no matter how you behave. That initial invitation to come follow me, Jesus said, had, was uh, irregardless of the situation that you find yourself in and so whether you're here in this room today or you're watching online and you're considering could i be a follower of jesus yes he desires for everybody to be a follower of him and so last week as we worked our way through the series we said what should you be wearing now i don't know if you uh, took that into play or not but uh, these are the kinds of things that need to be in your closet if you're a follower of jesus We are exhorted in Colossians 3 through the Apostle Paul to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and over all those virtues put on love. How many of you had to put on some new follow wear this week? Did you practice it? Did you walk into your closet and mindfully think, not only do what do I wear today to church or what do I wear to work or school, but what am I going to wear spiritually as a follower of Jesus Christ? And so continue to place that into practice each and every week. What we're gonna look at today concerning the idea of following Jesus has to do with something that may uh, at first appear pretty tough. But in the end, you're going to be glad. It has to do with the fine print of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, we're used to the fine print in um, contracts and documents. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. Or I can get that internet service or that cable service for such and such a price, right? But what is the fine print? Well, there is some fine print to following Jesus, But in the end, as I mentioned, this fine print is going to be something that you're glad for. Though at first, it looks pretty tough. We've been looking at different places in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, different narratives, where Jesus said, come follow me. Follow me. This is what it means to be a follower of me. And so when he arrived on the scene, and he didn't start his public ministry until he's about 30 years old, He um, uh, started working his way around the Sea of Galilee area, down into Judea and Jerusalem area, and he would just proclaim the kingdom of God. And people started to find themselves attracted to Jesus, and he started having a crowd. There were some uh, disciples that were more like the core kind of people he called out, and we looked at some of those, Peter and James and John and Matthew. But the crowds were sort of gathering. And as Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God, and Jesus was asking people to come follow him, he started to get a little bit concerned why people were on the ride. And so we find this narrative in Mark chapter 8. It says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them... Who do people say that I am? Now, he was sort of checking into his popularity vote maybe, right, or something. Who do people say that I am? Now, I don't necessarily recommend that you do this at a lunch table with other kinds of people because you may not like what they say, who do people say that I am. Or worse yet, they may say, they're not saying anything about you, Carrie. And so, you know, Jesus throws out this question to try to right-size the crowd and the followers around him concerning what they were really in it for. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now, John the Baptist was beheaded, but there's still this idea that maybe someone would come back to life or whatever. Elijah, it was foretold that Elijah would be the frontrunner again. He was an Old Testament prophet, but he'd be a frontrunner of the Messiah when the Messiah would come. And then Jesus was, man, he was a powerful teacher. And he had, a, he had a, 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 just an authoritative charisma about him that people were starting to, to be attracted to him. So maybe, you're, hey, you're maybe one of the prophets. This is sort of what people are saying. He says, all right, all right. But then he looks directly at those in his closer inner circle, his disciples, and he says, but what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? And there's... Peter with the oh, 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 I got the answer kind of thing, right? He says, I got it, I got it, here it comes, here it comes. Jesus, you are the Messiah. And the Messiah was the long anticipated Savior of Israel, right? Spoken of through all the Old Testament that there would be a Messiah who would come. And Jesus, um, Jesus Christ, Christ is actually not his last name. Um, you sort of just need to know that if you don't know that. Uh, Christ is actually the, uh, the Greek uh, translation of the Jewish word for Messiah, all right? And it actually means anointed one. Jesus warned them then not to tell anyone about him. Now, it's interesting because why, why would Jesus do that? I'm like, oh, Peter's got the answer. I got it. You're not John the Baptist. You're not Elijah. And you're not even one of the prophets. You are the long-anticipated, anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, shh. And we're like, what are you doing that for aren't we supposed to tell people that Jesus is the Christ? Now, there's maybe various reasons. Uh, The foremost is that Jesus was mindful that it wasn't quite yet his time, and for that to get out there public on the streets, you know, he wanted people to come to that understanding himself. And the second possibility is that, as we're going to see, maybe Peter did not have the right kind of understanding of what the Messiah was to be, or who the Christ was actually to be. But he told them not to tell anyone about him verse 31 he says then he began to teach that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again this was not what they were anticipating What's the buzz on the street? Jesus was feeling that it was happening around then. And he began to articulate a vision of the Messiah and the Christ was totally incongruent with what they'd anticipated. This Messiah was going to establish a a new Reich, a new reign, politically, physically. And Jesus starts talking, talking about dying? And it wasn't that he was just saying it in passing. He spoke plainly about this. He was very clear. And Peter, Peter, he couldn't get his arms around it. So he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, can you get this picture? I, here's Jesus. And, you know, he's got the crowds around. He's, he's been asking the Disciples forefrontly here, you know, who people say that I am, and Peter's acknowledging that he's the Messiah. I mean, these, these these guys have been following him for a little bit, and they're trying to dial in and figure this out, and Peter's sort of got some context for it, he fills and, and uh, I, I don't know if the people, the, the, the guys were behind Jesus as they were walking, or if Peter was out in front thinking he was like the band leader or something, but somehow in this visual, I see Peter in his... Uh, you could say his robust innocence, but I have a tendency to think more of Peter as in an arrogant, self-centered, really confused uh, religious man who was a fisherman. He, he turns around, maybe to Jesus, and he goes, what? What are you talking about? Suffering and dying? I mean, you can't do that. You I mean, look at these crowds. We, uh, things are going pretty good. You're sort of famous, and I'm sort of famous because of you. And, and, and you, you're going to go die. The Messiah doesn't do stuff like that. I mean, I was there. You actually calmed the water. You told the weather what to do. You know, and then there was the walking on the water, and then I saw the miracles, and, and you healed my mother-in-law, and I, I'm still not quite sure about that, but it was, it was a miracle still, you know. And so, you can't do this, Jesus. What are you getting at? He rebukes Jesus. Now we revere Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. You, you think Jesus was, you know, a decent teacher, a good man. I kind of, thing. but he rebukes him. Can you comprehend rebuking Jesus? Hey, come here. Who do you think you are, Jesus? You can't go off and die. You're the Christ. Look what's going on. You see, Peter really wasn't thinking all that much about Christ. Now was he? He was thinking about himself. And what this would mean. Well, you can, you'd die. I mean, it's going to make me look pretty stupid, right? Because we were proclaiming, I just proclaimed that you're the Christ and the Messiah. He took him aside and rebuked him. What do you think you would do if you were Jesus? Well, I tell you what, what Jesus did was probably harsher than what you even think you would do. But when Jesus turned and looked at disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan," he said. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty hard. I mean, you've you've been rebuked. Has anybody ever told you you're Satan? Or maybe there's times you feel like you need to rebuke your kids, but you don't call them Satan, right? Here's Jesus, like, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, what really is the backstory? of a lot of this? We know that there's a spiritual world, a spiritual dimension, not only in that day, but this very day and age. There's the spiritual realm. We live in the natural realm. One of these days we'll understand that maybe it's with that fourth dimension or whatever, kind of the, the matrix kind of deal, and you move in. It's like, oh, my goodness, there's a whole different world. Is There's a spiritual world going on, and Satan had tempted Jesus not too much before this time when he had him go into the wilderness and tempted him for 40 days. And Jesus resisted that temptation of Jesus not to fulfill God the Father's will. But Satan didn't, like, disappear. In fact, he was there orchestrating and working hard as he could behind the scenes. And here's, I mean, the scoop is, when we're heading towards Easter right now, right, is that uh, Satan was pushing Jesus all the way to the brink of death on a cross to not obey the father and we think of judas judas led jesus to his death but here's peter rebuking him about death and so what's going on here there is a spiritual realm of which satan is working through the counsel of a friend do you think that's possible today sometimes i think it is Sometimes when I see defiance or I hear words, I'm like, that doesn't quite, I I don't tell a person, get behind me, Satan. But there's, there's just this discernment that that, that's not of God. That's not of God. And we all need to be sensitive to that. Now, here's, here's Jesus, though, turning, and he gives this rebuke to Peter. Now, we know that Peter has sort of this checkered uh, trajectory moving forward. Um, to uh, the cross and those kinds of things about owning Christ and denying him and all that kind of thing. But Peter's wrestling deep in his soul with these issues. And why is that? Because Peter, he couldn't put it together. He couldn't put it together that the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would save the world was actually going to be pulverized and beaten and killed and hung on across just couldn't compute to him he said get behind me satan and and why is that why did it not compute to him because jesus says this you do not have in mind the concerns of god but merely human concerns any of you there any of you there this week our minds's been focused on human concerns. How's this going to impact me? Jesus, you can't do that or call me to do this." And, I, and Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan, because he was hearing through the voice of Peter, the adversary's disposition that he tries to speak into all of our lives, which is forget about the things of God. Focus on yourself. You only go around once in life. you gotta, you got to really make it happen for you, for you. Well, Jesus, what he found before him wasn't about himself. It was about God and God's concerns and, and fulfilling the Father's will. And so we have this very intimate conversation that's preserved for us 2,000 years later that could very well be a conversation that Jesus would have with you and I if he was physically walking our road and our pathway this week. And he would say to you and I, he said, hey, be mindful. Be mindful of the adversary. Be mindful of your own sinful nature because you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the concerns of human beings. Forefront, yourself. Verse 34, it says this then, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So something happened in that uh, intimate interchange and he's got his core disciples and Peter's rebuked and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that. And actually, is not this true. Sometimes we think of rebuke as being bad. But in, in some of the religious circles, a rebuke was actually something that was good. And I don't know about you, but somewhere along your life, maybe you would have been the better if somebody did rebuke you for what you about did or what you did do. Rebuke is not bad, all right? And so we hear Peter doing it to Jesus. You're like, whoa, he's the son of God. And that kind of, But the idea of rebuke sometimes can correct misknown behavior. And somewhere in Jesus' mind at this time, he's thinking, you know, I've got to clarify some things about this whole following deal. Hey, crowd, come on, come on, let's gather around. I'm going to teach you a few things here. Because you guys are becoming more like consumers than you are followers. You know what I mean by that? It's so easy in the Christian faith to be a consumer rather than a follower. There's a lot of great things that happen when you become a, a follower, a Christian, a Christ follower. I mean, yeah, you have the forgiveness of your sins. You have hope. God helps you realign some things in your life. You become a better uh, father, a better mother. Uh, you, you have some sense of uh, purpose and, and uh, uh, direction. You're more of a generous person. There's tons of good things that come from being a follower of Jesus. But... You could easily fall into being a consumer. What do I get out of it? What's in it for me or my family or my future? And Jesus has to correct this whole behavior with the crowd. He says, you're not getting something here, so everybody gather around. And disciples, he says, I want you sitting right here on the front row. Peter, Peter, you're right there, okay? I, I got a few things to say and talk to you about. And what he unpacks here is really a masterful understanding of reality. And he begins to teach them and address this self-centeredness of consumerism and how how it has no place in being a follower. This is sort of the, the fine print. Whoever wants to be my disciple, be my follower must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me what you saying Jesus is pointing out that those who really follow him have a need to have a different Disposition, than what's in it for me. He says, you want to be my disciple, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and there's our word, follow me. Now, we all know sort of what a sense of denying is. It's like, you know, hey, it's, um, I'm going to deny myself dessert when I go out and, and I eat. Uh, I'm going to deny myself I mean, uh, the 40 days of Lent started this week, right? Um, so it's the 40 days leading up to Easter. And so Lent, beginning with Ash Wednesday, especially those of you that come maybe more of a higher church, Catholicism, whatever you used to, you know, engaging in Lent. Lent began on Wednesday, but a lot of times we associate with Lent this idea of denying ourselves something. Well, you can get that context that denying yourself has to do with denying something. But what Jesus is going at here is much deeper than denying yourself something, denying whatever chocolates or fasting for Lent or something like that, right? There is a denying of the very essence of self-centeredness. And he says what you need to do is you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Now he knew what was before him. They didn't understand that, but they did know. They did know what it meant to be crucified. Now, when we think of a tr- cross, we think, oh, the beautiful little charm we have around our necklace, or maybe a nice picture in the wall, or even if it's portrayed in a movie. Yeah, it's sort of that's pretty hard. But there's background music, and it all sort of turns out good, and that kind of thing. Friends, in that day, the Romans crucified people. They knew how to kill them, and it was a punishment that everybody not only would know about, they could visually see it, pull back the images. They had the aroma and the smell, the dispositions in the crowd. And when somebody was crucified in those days, they left them on the cross a while. Why? So everybody could see. That's how they instituted fear amongst the people in the Roman Empire jesus says pick up your cross they 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 would have them carry the cross beam to the place of the crucifixion and then they would be crucified and they would hang there and so here's the messiah going, whoa, whoa, whoa. you guys you gotta shift your thinking here if you want to be my follower you need to deny yourself pick up your cross and then follow me in the path that i'm going to be going I don't know about you, but the trajectory of what was being spoken here by Jesus, if I was in the crowd, I would start to get a little wobbly, and I'd start to say what? Uh, sorry, I'm out. It's good, man. I, I like the miracles, and man, you fed a bunch of us at one time with just a few provisions, and, and whoo, some sweet stuff. And yeah, I hope you Messiah, but man, that, that idea of dying and dying on a cross, I'm I'm, I'm out. And then Jesus says something very profound to them concerning that exhortation of what they needed to do. And you need to catch this because this is the beauty of the fine print. He says, for whoever wants to save their life. Now, how many of you in here want to save your life? You, you want to keep you're here. You, you feed yourself, you exercise, right? You take care of whatever provisions you need uh, for your kids as well. You know, kids, your mom, your dad, they have a house for you and, and they, they provide provisions for you and put clothes on. I mean, our whole life is about sustaining life. Sustaining life. So we're all in. Jesus uses something that actually catches them. That they'd all be in agreement on. Okay, yeah, yep, we want to save, we want to save our life. We want to stay alive. We got you, Jesus. On that, okay. So where are you going with this? And then he says, "Whoever wants to save their life, you know, will lose it." And it's true. Unless Jesus Christ comes back again, everyone in this room will lose their life. A couple people lost their life this week. Of notoriety for those of you that have journeyed in christian circles uh uh, there was a singer by the name of carmen he passed away at the age of 65 with some complications of a surgery that happened he was just getting ready to go back on tour for all of us old folks that we would show up and i i mean i remember singing some of his songs and actually doing a drama to uh his champion song in new york city with my wife well she wasn't my wife at the time she's my girlfriend or hope girlfriend right and we did this drama together, and, and Carmen was sort of big, and Carmen went on to be with Jesus this week and, and saw his reward. Uh, some of you are familiar with a very, very popular a conservative talk radio person, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh passed away this week of lung cancer at, uh, after a year of diagnosis, and a lot of people taken back by that. Uh, Rush Limbaugh's brother, David Limbaugh, is a very solid believer. Rush himself and said that he had a relationship with Jesus. I don't know. It's, it's, the, it's the reality, though, that people die. You lose your life. Absent from this life, what happens? So Jesus says, Hey, listen, I know, I know you probably have pretty hard teaching to die yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Uh, whoever wants to save their life, y'all in that camp, yeah, we're on that camp. Well, just to remind you, just to remind you, crowd, Peter, you're going to lose your life. Uh, you're going to try to want to save it, but you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it in the end. And then he goes on and he says this, but whoever, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel today, you will save it. What? Yeah. Whoever wants to save their life will lose, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it in this life. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can one or would anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now let me just unpack this a little bit more because this is the fine print kind of deal. Jesus is saying hey, wake up, cognitive here. I know things may be going good for you. You're sailing really fine, and and life is good. But here's the reality. No matter how much you want to save your life, you will lose it. But, but, if you lose your life for me in the gospel, you're going to find it. You're, You're going to save it. Because, Whatever you think, now, and, and this, this was a challenge in that day, all right? Because the idea of an afterlife wasn't all that prominent. You might think it is. But in the Old Testament, though there were things spoken of like the bosom of Abraham and stuff like that, the Old Testament isn't packed full of heaven talk or afterlife issues. There were different sects that believed certain things, and one of the groups of people he's speaking to were people called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't believe in there being an afterlife. That's why they were sad, you see. Just a little Bible trivia there for you to carry with you. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So this idea of losing your soul, it's like, hey, when life's over, it's over. That's it. We're out of here. We're We're done. You cease to exist. Some people would think that. Some people maybe thought that there was this afterlife in the kingdom of God. Maybe others were, you know, there was a hell or something like that. But it was Jesus. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he really begins to articulate and unpack the afterlife. So those people that have passed away before us, whether it's popular people from this last week or somebody in your family this past year or even during the COVID journey, there is life after this life the spiritual realm. And Jesus is saying, all of you, if you want to save your life, you just need to remember this, you will lose it. But in this life, if you lose your life, you give it away, you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you will save it in the end. You will have this eternal afterlife that is full of richness and joy in the presence of God and his kingdom and what he does as he moves on into the eons of time with the new heaven, new earth, and all that he can unpack. Jesus was trying to get them to recalibrate and rethink. And for as clear and as simple as this appears to be over all the years that I've lived, we have to be smacked upside the head on a regular basis to remember this truth. And Jesus said, whatever you lose in this life, and I don't know what it is you have to lose. Maybe you got a lot going for you right now, right? Woo! Success up and to the right. The charts are going for your life. you got a great house. you got a, you know, a great family. you got some really sweet relationships. The girl you're wanting to like is sort of liking you, maybe. I, I don't know what's going on that you really got. Maybe, maybe there's some kind of possession that you really like. You, you know, woo! love the horses I got, or I I, I got a sweet car, I got a nice ride, and and got this really nice position. And man, you're just drinking life in. Jesus says you're going to lose it in the end. Nothing's being taken with you, but if you give it up and you lose it now, and that may mean different things for different people. I fully understand that. He says, for me, for me, for me, and for the gospel, the good news, of Christ's salvation, if you lose it for that, then you will save your life in the end. And as for as simple and straightforward as that is, why wouldn't more people want to do that? Do the cost analysis on that one. Cost analysis rings pretty good. Deny, give up now eternity out there before? Who's going to want to gain the whole world? Well, if that's your trajectory, if that's the path you're on, you're going to end up forfeiting your soul. What good is it for us to gain the whole world? What would we give in exchange for our soul? I don't know about you, but if I'm the crowd... I'm contemplating this. Okay. That deny self, that cross thing. Save, lose, lose, save. I'm wrestling with it. And I'm sure some said that I am out of here. But the disciples, they hung in. They hung in. For you see, it's a life-changing moment when you come to realize this. This truth that my soul is greater than my things. My soul is greater than my things. But we're hit continually not just by advertisements, conversation with others, being able to hang with certain kind of people, we're we're framed especially in an american western culture that's very materialistic and it doesn't matter if it's a materialistic culture or it could be a, a, a culture of of honor and and fame notoriety whatever it may be uh, whatever it may be that there's the temptation to take it all in and get ourselves caught up in a trajectory and a bind that says my things and what notoriety i have and all this is more important than my soul And Jesus was asking them to let go of things. To let go of popularity. To let go of what other people think for the sake of being a follower of Him. One who follows. Because it's not about being a consumer. This Christian faith is. It's about being a Devoted, self-denying, caring cross, kind of follower. He goes on and says this then in Mark eight thirty-eight: if anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, I, I find that interesting. You know, here's Jesus. He's looking around. He goes, Yep. This is an adulterous and sinful generation. If Jesus was to show up today, he'd look around and say, yep, it's an adulterous and sinful generation. I mean, we think we got things bad here. At least you're not walking out and seeing crucifixions happen when you leave church today. You see, the challenge for you and I is is probably not as harsh and as deep with them. They they knew that there was a chance that they could end up in that same place. You denying yourself doesn't mean you're going to be crucified. I don't think anybody here online, you're you're not going to be crucified. It may be other things you have to deny and you know what those things are and you have to give them up as God would lead you to give them up. But there's there's this sense of uh, life today that we think we're in a place that's so horrendous. I don't know. There was nobody who checked you at the door, unless you did the temp check today for COVID stuff. You, you were able to come in here and freely worship and tune online. There's a lot of freedom we got going for us today, so don't think of things worse than they really are. But Jesus is pointing out adulterous sinful generation, whether it was that one then or the one that we're living in now. It's pretty tough, and he says, now listen, in this adulterous and sinful generation, if you're ashamed of me in this world... The Son of Man, referring to himself, the Messiah, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. There's a timestamp on our life. There's a timestamp, whether it's we pass away of natural means or by an accident or something else. There's a day coming. Or maybe Christ does return with his angels before then, as we're all still alive. I think that'd be pretty cool. I've always hoped for that, right? But. These are pretty hard words. If you're ashamed of me, and you're caught up in consumerism, and you're not a follower who sold out for me, willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, then, friends, there's going to be some awkward moments on the other side of this life. Some real awkward moments. I want to clarify today salvation is free. It cost us nothing. It cost Jesus everything. He gave up his life, what he did, dying on a cross, shedding his blood, forgiveness of our sins. But salvation is a free gift. No matter what you believe, no matter your behavior, Jesus says, come follow me, and salvation is yours. You have to sort of move out of that consumerism kind of world and say, Jesus, I want to be a sincere follower of yours. But when, when you invite Jesus into your life, to forgive you of your sins and deliver... That's free. It's, it's grace. None of us deserve it. For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life for those who trust and believe in him. So it doesn't matter what your past is this morning. Whether you're here or whether you're out there. There is the beauty of the gospel. That salvation is free to whoever would receive it it costs us nothing in that regards but following christ will eventually cost us something salvation is free it cost us nothing but being a follower of jesus will eventually cost us something and maybe you can identify it right now. And if I did, did open mic, you could say, hey, here's my here's my story. Here's my story where it cost me something. But if that's not true, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. It's somewhere around the corner. That's, it's going to cost you something. And Jesus is just wanting his followers to be prepared for this, for them to understand that it's not about the consumerism and the miracles and, and, and the accolades and being a part of this pretty cool crowd that was, you know, gathering momentum, a movement in Israel at the time. This is, this is about following me to death, obedience to the Father. And sometimes when that moment comes it's going to cost you something in your life, you need to understand when it'll come. I'm not telling you it has to come or I'm I'm not uh, juxtaposing it upon you right now or imposing it upon you. It's like these moments will come and when they come, you will feel in your interior life as if it's a moral imperative. It'll feel like a moral, I just, I've gotta do this. This is what obedience means, being a follower of Jesus. And maybe it's changing the trajectory radically of your life. Maybe it's just something very simple. Maybe that is denying yourself something in life that's not wholesome for yourself. Yeah, i got to let go of this. That's a, not a healthy pattern, that sin pattern or whatever it may be. Or this relationship, I've got to let it go. I've got to die to it. I, 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 it's going to cost me something. But because I'm a follower of Jesus, it's, it's a must. It's a must. But if you've not come to that place when you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and fall, then you will come to those moments and it will not feel like a moral imperative. You're going to go like, okay, that's like a good suggestion. Thank you. I don't know the spirit of God, whatever, bringing that there, but got some counsel going on over here. Got some other ideas about my life here and you'll pass over it. But if you cross that line, of being a sold-out follower of Jesus, then it'll feel like a moral imperative. And it will also do this to you, it will feel like a death, it'll feel like a death. I remember um, some of these moments in my own life when, you got to understand, I, I grew up with this kind of focus on Scripture. I don't know about you what kind of church environment you grew up in or maybe you didn't grow up in church, whatever. But it's the all or nothing kind of thing. Whether it was sitting in a church service with powerful communicators of the gospel or being at a youth camp or going to a conference. The voice of God through other people, through my parents, was give your life away to be a follower of Jesus. And so that sense of calling I stepped into. And as as I started walking it out in my life, there were times where I had to come to some of these moral imperatives and make the right decision. I had to to make the choice to be able um, to die to myself and choose to live for God. They They were defining moments you ever have any of these? I can still remember the defining moment when I sat down with my family and I said, I believe I'm called to go to the East Coast to engage in graduate studies uh, for theology, maybe be ministry. I don't know if I'll be full-time ministry, maybe part-time this, part-time being on the farm corporation I grew up with. and serve my, I, I didn't know, but I knew I had to do this. But there was a death inside of me that said, I've got to walk away from some of these ambitions that really, when I look into them, they more are selfish ambitions. And and I had to obey and follow in that moment. There's been times in, in leading churches, a lot of times it has to do with taking on huge risk steps, like uh, stepping into facilities and buildings or stepping out with some type of change in leadership team or something like that. I'm like, okay, I've got to For me, I would choose something else. But God, I know that you need this. When I met Melissa and we started talking about life and relationship, I saw in her some of that same sense of, I want to follow Jesus. No matter what it means, even though we came from a lot different kind of backgrounds, there was still that spirit of conviction within her that says, you know, I I want to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow him. And that's part of why I fell in love with her. We celebrated 30 years this last year. We're getting away for a couple, few days right after service today, and I'm really excited about that. We we're going to go to Texas, but it froze over, so we're going to go somewhere else. Is there a defining moment in your life? Is there a defining moment in your life when you've had to um, Choose? This series, uh, Follow, uh, was framed up a number of years ago uh, by a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley, a uh, pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and so, so grateful for uh, some of the direction he's given in it. And us- usually when I listen or I engage with other sources, I'm like, eh, ah, it doesn't relate to me. But he shares this story that was just so indicative of these defining moments. And uh, he was driving on the campus of his church one day, and it was a large church, a lot of parking. And he saw one of their children's ministry volunteers in a T-shirt, had the volunteer T-shirt on for, you know, kids' ministry. And uh, it was a freezing cold day. And he thought to myself, he's like, hey, it's freezing. It's cold. I mean, put a coat on or something like that. And so he pulls up alongside him and says, hey, he says, can I give you a ride? Thinking he's going to take him over to his car somewhere. And, and he says, well, yeah, that'd be great. He got in his car. He says, actually, I, I live close by and I was walking to my house. And he says, oh, okay. So, you know, he, he starts asking this young man about his life. You know, who are you? Where you, know, where you come from? What you been doing? What's happening? And you know, he was a uh, uh, young 20-something college kid and he had just graduated he worked himself through college and uh, he had done internships or co-ops the whole time was there and his major and what he wanted to do and he had been working for a large media communications uh, company within the city and uh, he said you know I've been offered a job and they said they don't even need to interview me because of how they've worked with me and, and all that's going on. and I mean, like this, it's, it's a great salary coming out of college and, and good benefits, and, and it's like my dream job. And, uh, yeah, I don't even have to interview for it and stuff. And, and Andy said, he says, I sensed him getting ready to say the but. And there was a but to it. He says, but they, they want an answer this week, and I'm not so sure about it because you see this job entails um, sitting behind all kinds of banks of screen of content that's going out to homeowners and businesses and there's this whole section of banks in this communications that's that's adult content and I just don't think God wants me sitting there day in and day out with that big bank of adult content looking at it. Well, Stanley's thinking, is there something you can maybe maybe do when you go in this week or talk to him about this or that? And he, he comes to find out later from the guy he, that, that he did. He, he asked them, and he said, this is, this is why I don't think I can do this job. And they sort of dropped their jaw. And they're like, nobody has ever said that to us before, that that's an issue. And he says, well, it just sort of is with me, and I don't, you know any way around it or whatever. Well, there was no way around it. And uh, they picked someone else, and he didn't get that job. And you come out of college, getting a good job, good salary, good benefits, dream job, man, it's right there for the asking. And, and there was a defining moment for this young man. And uh, as the story goes, it, it was unpacked. And shared with that congregational body is a defining moment very reluctantly the kid uh, really didn't even want to share the story with the pastor even originally but he sort of got it out of him and he says sure go ahead and share it he says but when you share the story you need to tell the people this I have not lacked for anything since I made that decision and God has provided for my needs on time. He said this five months after he said no to the job because something in the Spirit said, I got to let go of that. But he said, God has remained faithful on time. And if you've got a chance, this is the verse that I hung on that I go with it, and some of you will, will be familiar with this verse out of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And although that passage of Scripture was a prophetic word to the Israelites, and we're not in that same situation at that same time, we do live with the same God and serve Him. And there is no Understanding of God that I've come across that would not reaffirm this into each and every person's life. It did into that young man's life and it can into your life. He has plans for you. Even when you pick up your cross, you follow him, you say no to something, you say yes to something else. God will be there for you as a follower. The verse after this says, then you will call on me, the Lord says, and come and pray to me. And you will listen to me and you will seek me and you will find me when you do what? When you seek me with all your heart. There's the deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Everything. Yes, Lord, I want you to be Lord of all. And that means even in the tough decisions. So what's your defining moment? What's going on with you in your life salvation is free it costs us nothing following christ will eventually cost you something and that may be this week it may be this year one commentator says this concerning this whole understanding of self-denial Because I want you to understand this self-denial. This is not a self-abasement. This is not belittling yourself, thinking too little. This is understanding what God's calling you and I to do. He says this every day. We must open ourselves up to God's initiatives and control. Self-denial takes shape in many ways. For some, it may mean leaving job and family as the disciples have done. For the proud, it means renouncing the desire for status and honor. For the greedy, it means renouncing an appetite for wealth. The complacent will have to renounce the love for ease. The faint hearted will have to abandon the craving for security. The violent will have to repudiate the desire for revenge. On it goes. Individuals know best what hinders them from giving their lives over to God. It's not for me or anyone else to just tell you what that denying self, pick up your cross and following Jesus means. But the fine print is there and you will be so glad that you did. What do you want your testimony and story to be? I came up to the brink. Yeah, God was calling me, asked me something and I said, no, I'm out of here. And I'm, not, I'm not for that. The consumer thing's more my route than this hard following thing. Or do you want your story to say, I stepped across the line, I gave it up, I surrendered to the Lord, I denied myself, I said, not my life, but your life. And your story goes on from there in some incredible, beautiful ways. It may not be the trajectory and the beauty and the popularity and the fame and the wealth that you might think it is, but it's gonna be something where you save your soul because you lost your life for him. And I cannot encourage you more than these words of Jesus to just simply say, listen, and obey him today. I close with a Thomas Kempis quote. Wrote a book, a classic book called Imitation of Christ. He says this, Jesus today has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who carry his cross. Many who yearn for comfort, few who long. For distress. Plenty of people he finds to share his banquet, few to share his fast. Everyone desires to take part in his rejoicing, but few are willing to suffer anything for his sake. There are many that follow Jesus as far as the breaking of bread, but few as far as drinking the cup of suffering. Many that revere his morality. Few that follow him in the indignity of his cross. Many that love Jesus as long as nothing runs counter to them. Many that praise and bless him as long as they receive comfort from him. But should Jesus hide from them and leave them for a while, they fall to complaining or becoming deeply depressed. Those who love Jesus for his own sake, not for the sake of their own comfort, Bless him in time of trouble and heartache as much as when they are full of consolation. Will you pray with me? Lord, in this room, I know there's different kinds of defining moments for all of us, and whether there's something in the past, something that stands present day, or something that's in the near or even distant future. We thank you that you gave us this intimate conversation with Peter and the disciples and the crowd, and that you did not hold back, and that you clearly spoke the fine print, which was really the ultimate print, that those of us who want to save our life will lose, but if we lose our life for you and the gospel, that we will save it. Lord, you apply this message to all the hearts that are here or are listening at home. And Lord, I pray for each and every person that they will be obedient to walk away from consumerism as a Christian and to become a devoted, self-denying, pick-up-the-cross follower of you. And Lord, if there's individuals listening today that have never crossed that line of receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from you, then I just pray, God, that they have a simple prayer of repenting of their sins and turning to you and inviting you to be the one that is their Savior, their Christ, their Messiah, their anointed one, the one that they would begin following. And Lord, that they would receive salvation this day. But for those of us that have been walking in that salvation and we've never crossed that line that Jesus spoke of in this conversation, may you love and embrace that person And let them know that their fear, though rightfully understood in the natural life, is not something to hold them back from the beauty, the abundance, the richness of a full spiritual and eternal life. Spirit of God, move on the hearts of our people. In your name, God's people said, amen. Thank you for being a part of today. I will see you next week. I will be here next week, but we are blessed next week to have a guest speaker, if you will, share with us. And that's Oliver Cardenas. And he's got some stories about being a follower of Jesus. So come back next week to hear Oliver. Come back to worship. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you next week.